There is no Lego seatbelt. I repeat, there is no Lego seatbelt. Welcome to Totally Biased Media, the podcast where three brothers that know nothing about video games tell you everything they know about video games. I'm Jordan, and if your windshield wipers are on, your headlights should be too. I'm Jason, and once this baby hits 88 miles per hour, our odds of getting into an accident increase a lot. I'm Jackson, and my car has a good steering wheel that doesn't fly off while I'm driving. We didn't feel like writing anything about this game, so here's the official blurb from the website. (laughs) Welcome to Bricklandia, home of a massive open-world Lego driving adventure. Race anywhere, play with anyone, build your dream rides, and defeat a cast of wacky racing rivals for the coveted Sky Trophy. And now, <laughs> let's get into it. Lego 2K Drive. So, I think that this game's marketing was brilliant because it came out of nowhere. Like, there was no rumors about this one. There wasn't some insane amount of time from its reveal to its launch. It was just like, hey, there's going to be this wacky Lego racing game and it's coming out in like less than two months. Get on it. And from the trailer, it looked like a more chaotic version of Mario Kart, which I was very into. And I'm not going to say I didn't like anything about the game, but that wasn't what this game is. (laughs) That was not what this ended up being. And I was kind of bummed to find that out. (laughs) I remember seeing the ad and that was one of those games where I was just like, like, all right, we got to do an episode on this. This is going to be a big (laughs) one. I'm very lukewarm on it. (laughs) Lukewarm is a good way to put it for me, too. (laughs) The closer it got to the release date, the less excited I was about it. I was pretty excited for it until the first time I started driving around. So I guess we should kind of set up what this game is a little bit because it's kind of in almost like four separate parts. And you got to put them together like Legos. (laughs) Um, So at its core, this is a very racing-centric game. You have these big open worlds, but there are race courses within those. And it's just a very straightforward race. It has some Mario Kart-style power-ups. And you get some advantages for, like, destroying things with your car, which make bricks fly everywhere. And, you know, your car is also made of Legos. And it's getting torn apart as you're getting hit with items or running off the course, stuff like that. So, like, it is a very straightforward racing game in that sense, just with some Lego flair. But there's three other things you do in this game that are all kind of not as good. (laughs) So you have your racing. You have these... Four pretty good size open world maps. It's a lot of just driving between races, but there's also collectibles to find all over the place. There's like two types of activities you can do within the open world. Some are just like time trial races and some are like actual missions where you have to destroy things with your car or move a certain item to a certain place or collect items to bring back to the quest giver. Or play the worst version of red light, green light imaginable. (laughs) Yeah, so it's like you got the racing, which does make up the biggest part, and then you have this, the open world exploration, but then you have these other just special races that are on top of that, and most of my problems I have with this game fall in those two categories. Just sort of focus on the racing for a minute. How'd y'all feel about it? This is the best part of the game. This is the part where the game feels good. It controls fairly well. The power-ups are fun to use, or at least some of them are. Yeah, not Mario Kart level of like tight, but still fun. This is the part of the game that is very much uh, lean forward. 
Whereas I feel like everything outside of the races is a lean back, you know, because like when you're in the races, they feel pretty intense. There's a lot going on. I think there's very strong rubber banding, which is, I think, both a positive and a negative. If you're doing well in the race, you're like the other racers will still be keeping up with you and like you'll still have a good time during the race or at least an interesting time even if you should just theoretically be destroying everyone else uh the bad <laughs> yeah. side is that if you're doing really well in the race you can still just get screwed over at any moment <laughs> right and also on the inverse even if you're doing absolutely horribly it means everyone else will be too and at that point like, what was the real advantage of me driving well in the first place if I can also just drive like garbage and still win a lot of the time? It's aggressive. Generally speaking, I'm I'm sort of in the pro-rubber banding camp. <laughs> I think it makes games like the old Need for Speeds, for example, fun. Like, you couldn't just upgrade a car to the point where you were untouchable. Like, there was always a challenge to it. But I do think there have been some games, generally games like this one, which are more arcade racy style they are really hindered by that fact that there's just always someone on your tail, no matter how good of a driver you are. Jackson, how did you feel about the racing? You both know racing games are not my type of thing. Yeah. I liked it at first, uh, but after two races, I decided, yeah, I don't like this. <laughs> I was wondering, you know, you're definitely like the biggest Lego fan of us, or at least you're the one that like has the most time hands-on with Lego. I was curious if that would kind of carry you through the racing part of it, but it doesn't sound like that was the case. <laughs> well, as someone that is currently holding a Lego Optimus Prime in truck mode, I have to say, no, being a Lego fan did not help. I think this game definitely has problems. No matter how much you like the aesthetic, you're not just going to be able to look over them. Because, I mean, the only racing game you've ever really liked was Forza Horizon, right? Forza Horizon 5 and 4. Any other racing game I've played did not enjoy. So let's kind of hone in on those other types of activities you could do in this game. One that you'll have to do a lot of just for the sake of like leveling up and getting money and stuff are these time trials. And you'll just be driving around the open world there will be this green gate, and if you drive through it, it starts some kind of trial mission. It's not always a time trial, but like I'd say 80% of them are. Sometimes it's like you have to drift a certain amount in a short distance, or you have to get one item to another place, or like the red light, green light thing Jason talked about. But most of them are time trials. And at first, I was really into them. Like I thought they offered some interesting ideas. They were a, a nice change of pace from the regular races, but there were sort of two things that soured me on them. One, they are very short and there are a lot of them, like mm -hmm. a whole lot of them. <laughs> and two, they are wildly difficult compared to everything else in the game. <laughs> Not difficult just to do the bare minimum to like get a bronze medal, but there are some of those challenges where even with like a really well upgraded car, I have no idea how you're supposed to get a gold medal. <laughs> I think a lot of the trouble with those challenges comes down to, I think the controls are pretty slippery sometimes, uh, especially when you're drifting. I, I feel like sometimes it feels to me that there are two different versions of drifting in this game. Uh, one of them is where you have like a lot of control over your car and you're able to use that to, you know, get around corners and stuff like that. It's very good. The other one is a state that you get into, I would say a little bit too often 
where I think the most comparable thing is when you're playing Sonic Adventure 2 in the driving sections and you just start moving left and right. And like, you don't <laughs> yeah. really have any strong control of your car. What it reminded me of is it's like you're hydroplating when there's no water. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like, it's very strange. Sometimes you'll be going around a turn, start breaking the drift, and the car just, like, gets into that perfect line, and you're in complete control, and you start the drift at the exact time it comes out of it. It's like, it's all great. Feels fantastic when that happens. And then sometimes it'll feel like you're doing the exact same thing. You start your drift at the exact same time, and your car just starts flailing around instead. Like, it's yeah. very, it's very inconsistent. And I can't figure out if that's, like, a traction issue if it's like something with the different cars I'm driving, I don't know if it's, you know, what I'm actively driving on. I, I was never able to place it, but it's just sometimes I would go into a drift and it would work perfectly. And sometimes I would feel like I was doing the exact same thing and it just wouldn't work at all. I, I don't know what that was about. I would still say the vast majority of the time it was in the first camp, especially during races where it mattered the most, mm -hmm. but it was still often enough where I would take a turn and it would just go absolutely horribly. And I don't know why. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like anytime I use drifting, it just would put me behind by like multiple spots. I definitely didn't have that experience because I, I feel like when you're drifting, you don't lose any speed because you gain your uh, boost meter back the whole time you're drifting. And then if you run into any items, that just instantly refills your boost meter. Generally, my recommendation is anytime you're drifting, you should also be boosting. Yeah, this game... It's very, very, very boost heavy. Yeah, I really do not like that. It reminds me of like the early Fast and the Furious movies where like the only thing that matters is using the nitrous at the right time. <laughs> yeah. And I think the rubber banding really plays into that too. That's actually what I was about to say is like, I don't think that the having to rely on your boost so much is inherently a bad thing. Except for when you're just totally out of it and everybody else still has a ton of it. And even though you pulled way ahead of them five seconds ago, they're now right on your tail. <laughs> yeah, this is why I hate the boost. In 90% of the races in this game, uh, it's really only the last minute, maybe even 30 seconds that actually matters to your performance. Everything before that is basically just going to be filtered out by the rubber banding. And if you don't have enough boost in that last 30 seconds, you're just going to get passed by everyone. <laughs> yeah. So the last thing that I want to talk about in this game is by far my least favorite part of it. <laughs> uh, so there are these missions, which there's some where you have to defend a point from robots. There's some where you have to herd animals. There's one where there's like robots overrunning a town and you have to drive to people and help them escape the town. Those were things that in the trailer I thought looked really cool because they reminded me of Mario Kart DS's mission mode, which is something that I think more kart racing games really need because I thought that was like the best single player experience of the whole Mario Kart series. I did like the first mission where you have to stop some robots from getting to specific points. It was like, that was all right. I did the second thing that was very similar to that and i was just like no i hate this this is the worst it just goes on for so long <laughs> yeah and then the one where you have to like drive around town and pick people up with your car they take yeah. so long to get on your car the enemies yeah. spawn a little bit too quickly Constantly. so you basically yeah. always get overrun or at least i thought so i got to one of the last ones and i just made an effort to take all the enemies out first and then right no no more spawned but like <laughs> 
there were so many enemies swarming me in some of the earlier missions that there's no way that new ones weren't spawning. So I don't know if there was like a bug or what. So I think what you were expected to do was when there's a lot on you, you just jump over and over again, which isn't very fun, but it does get rid of them. Yeah. No, I mean, that's what I did. It felt like every mission in this was like a decent concept that they just turned into a way to fill too much time because <laughs> they knew this game was going to be short. So they were just like, yeah, it takes 45 seconds to get enough points for this mission. So we're going to go ahead and make it a five minute mandatory timer. <laughs> That's just something you got to deal with now. I don't know. The missions just, they were just not fun. And there were too many of them and they were mandatory a lot of the time. And it just, I don't know. It got in the way of the stuff I actually liked about the game. And the problem was even the stuff I liked wasn't that good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then to go, you know, make it even worse. Like, I feel like the rewards you got for doing these missions rarely ever mattered. Yeah. Like you would get a bunch of money for the cash shop, which... We'll get into that. But like, it never seemed like you actually got something tangible for doing a mission. Sometimes you would get a vehicle, but this game's vehicle system is kind of boring. <laughs> yeah. You have four stats for all of your vehicles. As far as I can tell, maybe in the build mode you can change it, but for the most part, you just get a car, it has stats. The stats have no real purpose. <laughs> like, well, it's also really strange because every stat is measured on a scale of negative four to plus four. Uh, it's not even that. I have some that have like minus 12. Oh, really? I yeah. was going to say, I think that it's even less interesting because almost all cars, if you add up those advantages and disadvantages, most of them are just zero. Most of the ones I've gotten have exactly the same amount of positive buffs as negative ones, just in different areas. So, like, every car, for the most part, was just, like, totally neutral in the end. <laughs> yeah. So. And the cars you get from doing the story races and some of the missions will have, like, special perks. But every single perk in the game, they're all double-ended swords. There's always a positive and negative aspect of every perk. So, for the most part, it seems like you're better off not having a perk because... The negative drawback is almost always you take more damage or you used more boost. Uh, and both of those are really annoying. One thing that we haven't really mentioned yet and one of the more frustrating aspects of the game is that there are certain story moments that you'll get to where the game's like, oh, sorry, you got to be this level to take on the next set of races, which I don't think is inherently bad. Like it does incentivize doing some of the side content. The problem is it wants you to do so much of the side content. Like you can do race after race after race after race. And then it's like, okay, now go level up six times. Like that, that takes so long of just doing side content. Yeah. So yeah. there's just no sense of progression as you're getting through the story. The cars roughly have similar stats and the perks you're getting don't really matter. There is a secondary perk system, which uh, is not tied to your car in any way. Where as you do more races and level up more, you unlock perk slots. So like you start with the C rank perk slot and then when you hit like level 10, you get the B rank and then hitting level 20 gives you the A rank. And then you unlock like the individual perks to fill those ranks out by doing races in that class. Sometimes. It's, it's never <laughs> yeah. really clear. I feel like I went a really long time even just doing A rank races before I actually got an A rank perk. Yeah. It was kind of weird for me as well. 
So, like, you never really feel like the game is giving you any kind of advantages. So the stakes don't really feel like they raise as you get further into the game. Yeah, there's just the level gating. You know, having some kind of cap where it's like, hey, you need to be X level to continue the story, I don't think would bug me too much. The problem is that leveling up in this game takes a weirdly long time, you know, in comparison to how short the game is. And most of the time, all you can really do to continuously level up are repeat races, which isn't very lucrative, or do those really annoying missions. <laughs> and they are just not fun and they take too long. And it's just, there's not a good way to circumvent the fact that it expects you to be a really high level to take on certain things. Yeah. And it's, it's just a padding issue. Like they knew this game was too short. Uh, you could probably do all the races if you were just doing them back to back in like two, maybe three hours. Whereas stuff like this makes it take more like seven or eight. My problem with the level gating wasn't that it existed. It was that uh, there's only one level gate in the game because before you can start doing rank A races, you have to hit rank A, which means you need to level up to level 20. Well, there's one for B as well. Oh, I didn't run into the one for B. Yeah, I, I I only had to level up like half a time to get to the B rank one, but the A one I had to rank up like four times. The A rank one for me, I had to level up nine times. So <laughs> it got on my nerves. Because <laughs> like, I didn't really enjoy the open world missions that you could do. So like getting XP took forever. I wouldn't have cared so much about needing to hit that level cap if there was new content that I could constantly be doing other than the missions, which there are a lot of missions in the open world. But the problem is, like we've kind of already mentioned, there's only five or six archetypes for those missions. And uh, three of them are terrible. <laughs> uh, yeah. The worst of which, you know, I've, I've we've alluded to it a little bit. There is a red light, green light minigame in this, and it is terrible. The red light time is really long. Like five or six times as long as it should be. Yeah, you'll just be sitting there doing nothing for like 10, 20 seconds. And then you can drive for like three. Yeah, it gives (laughs) you like three seconds to get going. And then you need to instantly come to a stop. So if you're in a car that can go fairly fast, but you don't have like great braking on it, it's just impossible to do the mission unless you want to feather the gas the whole time. But then no matter how far you get into the mission, there's no checkpoints. So sometimes you need to drive down like a whole runway. And you'll get like 80% of the way there and then accidentally screw up and you just have to restart the whole thing. And instead of restarting the timer when you screw up, you have to exit out of the race and drive back into it. It's like if I have to start at the very beginning of the track, reset the timer because I'm not going to use the bad time where I already wasted two minutes getting to the end. Yeah, it's so weird. Everything about it is so weird. There are pretty fun challenges, though. You know, I, I feel like it's worth mentioning. Like, I enjoy the drifting ones because generally what you'll run into is it gives you a course. It's a pretty short course, but then it wants you to drift a really long distance. So you need to take the turns like really wide. But then on top of that, you have a timer. So you need to make sure that like you're drifting as much as possible, taking the corner or taking the turns as wide as possible, but you still need to, you know, get to the end in a certain amount of time. Otherwise, it's not going to matter. I thought those were really fun. I think it stuck out in particular as being like some of my favorite challenges. There's a really good one in the second map uh, where the challenge is just driving into a wall as fast as possible. <laughs> there was one challenge that took me way too many tries to even get once, but I 
cannot think of what it was. Was it one where you're like drifting up a mountain and there's mines? No, didn't see oh. that one. There's one that you can get to really early in the game where you have to, it's like a spiral mountain. So you kind of have to be drifting constantly, but there's mines all around it. And I did it probably 20 times trying to get the gold medal and never even came close. <laughs> See, I had one that was like that, but without the mines. Did anybody mess with the building at all? I think that's the only way you can upgrade your car. There are like different pieces you can put on your car that'll make it a little bit better or at least change its stats up a little bit. So I built one car, um, but I did it when I was only probably two-ish hours into the game. Um, it was very basic. It looked like garbage, and all it got was like plus one speed and minus one off road or something like that. Uh, or not off road. Uh, I don't even remember what stat it was. There was like one stat that it had a minus one on, and uh, it was very strange. I think that the building is sort of this game's saving grace for the right audience because it's very detailed. I mean, you can basically make any conceivable car you could make out of real Legos in this game. But you got to be a lot more creative and a lot more patient than I am. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think the amount of time it takes is my biggest issue. Like, I got into it, I saw how many options I had, and then I was thinking about how many pieces I would need to make a car. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, no thank you. And I made a car I already had silver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, this is good enough for me. <laughs> you know, something weird I want to talk about with the cars. Maybe if I had done more side missions, I would have run into one or something. Uh, from my understanding, this game has two licensed cars in it. They are both McLarens. <laughs> and you get both of them by racing the uh, your mentor character. Which I guess we didn't really get into. This game does have like an actual story. It's not particularly great or in-depth. I think it is kind of funny. It has some good moments. Like, I think that the banter between sort of your mentor guy and your computer robot friend, it's like some of that's actually pretty good. And some of the dialogue with like the recurring NPCs is better than I expected it to be. I like the color commentary you get from the judges. Or I guess it's not color commentary, but like just when they're explaining the racetrack and like ribbing each other while they're doing it, it's pretty good. I think Lego games have always had a, a good sense of humor in that they balance being campy and cheesy, but they don't pull any punches on that. I think a lot of games, when they want to have that kind of humor, they try to back up and be like, isn't it funny we're doing this bad joke? And Lego's just like leaning into it, which I appreciate. Yeah, there's something like almost earnest about the comedy in Lego games. <laughs> but overall... Like, I do think this game has fun racing, and I think its biggest flaw is just the fact that it prioritizes it so little. I was too hard on Hot Wheels Unleashed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, I feel like that was probably because I hadn't really played too many games like this. There were a lot of Hot Wheels games on, like, the Wii and stuff like that back in the day, yeah. and I tended to avoid those. So the only arcade racer I've ever really played before that was Mario Kart. I think Mario Kart is too good to compare this to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mario Kart still blows all other arcade racers out of the water. And I was really tough on Hot Wheels because I kept comparing it to Forza Horizon, which was partially just because of how like close together we had played those games. And, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, Forza Horizon is also 
technically an arcade racer, and it is significantly sure. better than either of these games. Comparing this game to Hot Wheels made me realize that Hot Wheels is very good. I liked Hot Wheels Unleashed, and I don't even like racing games very much. See, the thing is that our criticisms of Hot Wheels are still totally valid. Like, it had a terrible progression system. The single player was very repetitive. There was no good way to unlock cars without just spending money on what were effectively loot boxes, even though you paid for them with in-game currency instead of, like, a premium currency. Like, all of that still stands. But the look and the feel and just the whole vibe of Hot Wheels Unleashed was, like, spot on. That game looked great, played great, and had, like, it was, like, dripping with, like, Hot Wheels style. Whereas this game doesn't necessarily land anything including just the lego vibe (laughs) yeah i don't think this game is very stylish at all i think a lot of the time you'll be in environments where the only legos on screen are your car which is kind of lame it's not super often and the cities do have like other stuff like i think it's fun how the big city that you go to on the second map big butte is made up of like household objects you know, like there's a flower pot that's one of the buildings and there, there's a whole bunch of stuff like that. And then like the tutorial map, there's a big tire in the middle that your mentor's company sits on. Like, I think that stuff's pretty fun, but I do feel like there's a lot of areas that you run into where the Legos aren't super well integrated into the environment. And uh, you know what? I'm going to do it. I think Forza Horizon 4 did a better job with that. <laughs> yeah. Forza Horizons, Legos, and Hot Wheels DLC were just incredible. Like, knocked it out of the park. I think Forza Horizon 4 had more licensed Lego cars than this did. (laughs) I will say, all the cars in this are... They're all real cars that you can buy, or, like, real Lego sets. They're either, like, Lego City cars or Lego Creator cars. And then there was another category that I only got, like, one car out of. I I think that's pretty neat. And then obviously all the cars are made of Lego because you can go into that garage and you can tear them apart and mess them up however you want to, which is pretty cool. I really don't like the cash shop in this game. You unlock the premium currency in this game at a decent rate. I'm fairly certain there's probably a limit to that. You know, like once you do all the activities, you probably don't have a convenient way to get like large amounts of money. So I don't know how much legs it will have if there's like a lot of DLC I think everything in the shop is generally too expensive. It'll be like 10000 for a car. And then the cars that you buy in the cash shop still like don't give you any real competitive advantage. If they have, you know, perks, it's usually the same perks that you would get just by playing the story mode, which it's not pay to win, which I guess is good. But it kind of makes you wonder what the point of the cash shop is, because the only thing you're buying there is skins and then generally the skins that you're buying are not very good this game feels like it was a triple a game with like single a ambitions (laughs) i get sorry i want to say my biggest issue with the cash shop is that this game is clearly aimed towards children right i think if you're making a game (laughs) that is aimed towards children like if that is your target audience there's issues with having a cash shop i think it should be illegal personally It's very strange that, like, where this game kind of falls in that category, too. Because, like, there are good games that are aimed at kids that are still good for adults. I mean, I think most other LEGO games do that really, really well. This game feels like, in a lot of ways, it's made exclusively for kids. But then there's also a pretty greedy cash shop. 
and absurd difficulty spikes. And I don't know how that fits into this being a game that for the ground up is clearly aimed at kids. <laughs> you, you know, you said it's like a triple A game with single A ambition or whatever. I think the bigger issue is that this is a Lego racing game and it is not a very good racing game. And it is by far one of the worst Lego games I've ever played. So if you're a Lego fan, I would recommend playing something good, like, I don't know, Lego Marvel superheroes or something. Uh, and if you're a racing fan, I would recommend playing Forza. And if you're specifically looking for like an arcade racer like this, then Hot Wheels. Or Mario Kart 8. The, every metric that I would compare this game on or like rate this game on, there is a shining example where a game does that thing better in every way. And there's nothing that I think this game does better than any of those games. Well, Jackson, you want to give some final thoughts? Let me sum it up this way. Every time that I was going to play any game, whether it be on my PS5 or Switch or anything, I made sure that I would sit down and play this first, at least do something. Every time I sat down to play it, I would do one activity and then I'd already be done playing it. It's just boring. <laughs> Jason, final thoughts? You know, generally I, I say I would recommend this game to anyone that fits into a specific category. But I genuinely cannot think of a category where this is the game that you would want to play. I guess I can say I would recommend this game to anybody that really likes Lego racing and doesn't want to play Lego racers for some reason. <laughs> sure. When I come to scoring this game, it fits in very cleanly with like Saints Row. This is your 5 out of 10 game. So my, my final thoughts is just this game is fine. There's, a, there's literally a better game in every aspect imaginable. As the kids would say, it's mid. <laughs> I guess that's not true, because even if it was like a 9 out of 10, they would still call it mid. Mid is everything that's not either a 1 out of 10 or a 10 out of 10. <laughs> this game is not mid. It's very it's extra mid. <laughs> but that's really all I have to say. Jordan, how, how are you feeling about it? Uh, I mean, I feel like we went more negative than I thought think my actual experience was but it's really hard to qualify the things I liked because it was more just a list of things that the game did okay and I just like the Lego aesthetic but even then that doesn't hold up enough to carry me through some really bland missions and some weirdly difficult time trials and an over-reliance on those two specific types of activities to progress the story uh, like I said if it was like half racing i'd be on board but considering racing only makes up like maybe a quarter of the game it just isn't enough like you said i don't know if there's any group of people i would really recommend this game to other than maybe people that are really creative and want to go crazy with that building tool but even then i haven't used it enough to say that for sure so let me let me look at something how many lego pieces can i get for $60. Are you looking for like the real life count or do you mean? Yeah, yeah. I'm talking about yeah. how many real Lego bricks could I get for $60? Usually it is going to be about 10 cents per piece on average. So usually $60 will get you 600 pieces. I would recommend buying 600 Lego bricks over playing this game, even <laughs> if you just want to build stuff with Lego. Sorry, especially <laughs> if you just want to build stuff with Lego. 
I, I definitely wasn't feeling this negative about it before we started this episode. But the more I think about it, the more I think how much better every other racing game I've ever played is. <laughs> <laughs> it does make me want to go back and play Hot Wheels Unleashed some more. Who knows, though? Hey, Hot Wheels Unleashed 2 is coming out. Yeah. That's adding monster trucks and like other stuff. I don't really know what else they said they were adding. I just remember seeing Monster Outside. <laughs> I think there were motorcycles. I'm actually excited for Hot Wheels Unleashed 2. I could see it being pretty good. I know you guys did not really like the first one very much, but I I did like it. I mean, I liked the gameplay of the first one a lot. I think it felt great, looked great, did a really, really good job of like putting the Hot Wheels brand on a pedestal. It's just that the fact that there was no consistent way to unlock cars other than like the shop had like four for sale at any given time and it only reset every like four hours real time and they were weirdly expensive. It was all just, it was kind of doomed from like a, a CEOs trying to squeeze every penny they could out of the game before we ever even got to the actual gameplay of it. I don't know. I would like to go back. Maybe they fixed some stuff. <laughs> I know they've, I know there's been a handful of updates for it, mostly related to like, new creative content stuff so i don't want to go out just being like lego bad because generally speaking lego pretty dang good <laughs> so pretty good let's let's just like kind of hone in on some of our favorite lego games before you know from the before time before we got the one bad one that ruined it so yeah the one bad one yeah jackson what's like the one lego game that for you is like the epitome of Lego games. The first Lego Marvel Superheroes. That one's a good one. I'm going to say it. It's better than Complete Saga. It's a bold stance. But I do think that Lego Lego Marvel Superheroes is probably like top three for sure. Like without question. <laughs> I always really appreciated Lego Marvel Superheroes for having a lot of superheroes that really don't get a lot of time in the limelight. Yeah. Like the Guardians are in that game. But since it's that before was 2012. Yeah, yeah. Since it's before the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, or at least Elliot, the game isn't influenced by it, it's the way they were in the comics, which is absolutely unrecognizable in a lot of ways. Yeah. Star Lord was competent. Yeah. Rocket was British. <laughs> good times. Groot was just like a mess of vines and stuff. Uh yeah, it was it was pretty good. But I really liked in Lego Marvel Super Heroes specifically that not only were there a lot of heroes, but they actually did a pretty good job of making them distinct. It's not to say they could all do different things in terms of how they interacted with the levels, but they all had unique animations and their attacks looked different and they even had like their own unique idol animations that actually, you know, pulled a lot from their personality. I think that one was a really good showcase of how you can make a game just massive and pack it with content, but still put a lot of care into the characters in the games. Like that one really stands out as being like, mm -hmm. that is a really good look at what Lego can be and how to do the Marvel universe at that scale. Right. And I think comparing it to that game really makes Skywalker saga look bad with its like class <laughs> system where, like, Skywalker Saga had 900 characters or whatever. I don't remember exactly how many it was. I remember being an insane number. But there were really only eight characters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everyone in one class acted exactly the same. Other than, like, the real, like, the most notable characters 
might have had like some different animations or whatever. But generally speaking, every character was the same as every other in that class. I would definitely probably say Skywalker Saga is the worst one I've played, at at least for character diversity. And I think character diversity is my favorite part of the Lego games. I like being able to play as Mr. Fantastic and having a different gameplay experience than if I'm playing as like Peter Parker, because they're both smart, so they'd have to be in the same class. Even Lego Marvel Avengers and Marvel Super Heroes 2, which I didn't like very much, they still had a lot of character diversity. They also had like a lot more fun characters. Like Lego Marvel yeah. Avengers still had the Squirrel Girl Hulkbuster suit or whatever. Lego Marvel, I think, Avengers had the Stan Lee that had uh, its own Hulkbuster. Oh, yeah. Was that the one where Stan Lee had like Spider-Man's web swinging, Captain America shield. No, that was that was that was Lego Marvel's Avengers one or uh, superheroes one. I feel like the Lego Marvel properties were probably handled the best overall. Like I don't I don't feel like there's really a bad one. Yeah, I didn't particularly like Lego Marvel's Avengers, but I like it more than Skywalker Saga. <laughs> yeah, Lego Marvel Avengers was about the time they started doing the weirdly long levels to the point where they just weren't fun. <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to spend an hour in a single level. Don't worry, it gets ten times worse in Lego Marvel Super Heroes 2. Abby and I have been playing through Lego Harry Potter, and the levels mm. in that are generally like 10-15 minutes. Perfect. That's exactly how long a Lego level should be. I've never really cared about the Harry Potter franchise. Like I haven't seen all the movies. I've only read like two or three of the books, and it was like 20 years ago. But the Lego Harry Potter games were really, really good. Like, they used the Lego formula to fit the characters in the world perfectly. I also like how unique it is, where instead of switching characters all the time, as you would progress through the game, you would unlock new spells. And then most of the problems that you'd run into, you'd solve by using a new spell instead of using Mm -hmm. a new character. I, I think Lego Harry Potter 2 is probably one of my top three Lego games. If I had to say my favorite Lego game, I do have to go with nostalgia and say Complete Saga. Because I, I remember spending so much time playing that, like back on my GameCube when I was yeah. little. That's definitely my number two. It's it's so good. It has every Star Wars character that I like, at least up to that point. I mean, there are characters I like in the sequel trilogy. I think all the levels are pretty good. The only bad level I can really think of is that one in episode two where you have to uh, fly the gunship around. Oh, yeah, that sucks. Mm. I think that Lego Star Wars, the you know, both, both of the original Lego Star Wars games that make up the complete saga, like... They did the best job of adapting individual scenes because I think that the more recent Lego games, specifically the ones based on movies, have tried so hard to make it like shot for shot. And that's not what Lego should be. Like, I think it takes a lot of the charm out of it when you make it too much like the movie. Like, I think Lego Star Wars did a really good job of taking the parts that would make cool action set pieces, having you play those and then just having it take care of the story on its own. Whereas, like, newer stuff, the story is very ingrained in a, in a way that makes the pacing very icky. <laughs> I also feel like the older LEGO games were so much funnier than the newer ones. For because sure. all of the humor was, you know, slapstick. It all relied yeah. on characters being like, 
I think the the scene that comes to mind is in episode five of Lego Star Wars, where Darth Vader is explaining to Luke that he is his father. And since there's no speaking at this point, he doesn't just say, Luke, I am your father. He uh, pulls out a picture of Anakin and a pregnant Padme, and then he points to Padme's belly and points to Luke Skywalker. (laughs) It's so good. It it completely ruins all the tension of that scene, but in a way that is so in line with the Lego brand. And I love that. And I think that if they made that exact scene again, well, I guess they did make that exact scene again, um, it was just so overly dramatic. Like they still threw in some jokes, like after he got his hand cut off, but like it wasn't a it like the old Lego Star Wars games felt like a satire of Star Wars. Whereas now they take the Star Wars brand so seriously and it so doesn't deserve to be taken seriously sometimes. I also liked in the Lego one after that happened where, you know, Darth Vader pointed at the picture and all that. uh, Luke also throws himself off of there by choice where he just looks like he's trying to get away from Darth Vader. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty good. I remember being really disappointed when Lego Batman 2 came out and the characters started talking and I was like, oh, even even <laughs> then I was like, this is the beginning of the end in some ways. Yeah, they managed to get through a few more games with it being fine. But after that, didn't really work out well. I think it's it is kind of what Jordan was saying, though. They stopped making fun of the properties in the same way. I feel like the the two Lego Marvel superhero games did a good job at still like poking fun at it. Oh, yeah. I want to point this out while we're talking about it. Lego Marvel Avengers just straight up reuses every single line that's in it from the Avengers movies. Yeah, yeah. I think that's how most of the movie ones are now. I think it, that's the only movie one I've played. So I, I want to know about the others. There's just like no funny moments in the newer games that weren't already in their movie. Yeah. And it's because like they're not made to make fun of their movies anymore. Or like with the Lego Batman games. They're very clearly poking fun, you know, from a place of love, but they're still just like Batman kind of dumb or like his villains. (laughs) This dude just has robot penguins with guns walking around everywhere. What's up with that? You do lose a little bit of something when you start trying to pay more reverence to the thing that you're, I guess, satirizing instead of just trying to poke fun at it and, you know, show how much you love it. Yeah. It also helped that you weren't limited by, you know, pre-recorded dialogue. Because you can't have Frodo say something funny in Lego Lord of the Rings because Elijah Wood didn't say that thing. The game I want to talk about is sort of the dark horse of this one. And it's kind of, it kind of existed in its own little renaissance where it started to fix a lot of the problems that the Lego games were starting to develop. But uh, it's very much an anomaly. And admittedly... I would probably still put the complete saga and Lego Marvel superheroes over this game, but Lego City Undercover. Oh yeah, that game hits just right. <laughs> uh, it's the only Lego game that's based on like a completely like its own property that I think is really good, but it does a lot of things better than any of the other licensed Lego games. Like it is a very tongue-in-cheek but really fun story. It takes you to some crazy places. It has this big emphasis on disguises versus just you know switching characters on the fly. And I just think it had a really like cool way of incorporating this open world and 
being this undercover police officer and I, I don't know it was just a lot of fun like in a way that most of the lego games extract their fun from the property they're based on whereas this was like a completely unique thing but was still a cool world with cool characters and it was fun to just explore i i liked this one a whole lot i felt like Le- lego city undercover was kind of a love letter to action movies in general yeah <laughs> where they just took like all of the tropes that are in every action movie and they lampooned it in some way. You know, they would have iconic scenes from movies. Like, there's a scene where Chase McCain learns Kung Fu. And they're, you know, talking about the Matrix while they do it. And, like, that stuff is funny. And if they made a Lego Matrix game, it would not be funny in that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, this this was a game that sort of encapsulated that whole not taking itself seriously thing that makes the Lego games work. But it did it from the ground up. It didn't try to walk over an existing property to do it. It was just like, what if we took the Lego gameplay, put it in its own world, and let you do some dumb stuff with it? And I think, like, for the most part, it succeeds at that. It's so funny how that game was basically the Wii U's answer to Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> yeah, I was just about to point yeah. that out. When I was a kid, I always saw it as Lego Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. And when I when I think about that, uh, as an adult now, you play as a cop in that game. <laughs> I guarantee the thought process behind like the story and the open world was what if in Grand Theft Auto you played as a police officer instead? So instead of you know being the one committing crimes, you're the one stopping the crimes or solving them. But you're still committing a whole bunch in the meantime. <laughs> so. Yeah, but you know when a police officer runs a red light or kills a guy, it's not illegal. <laughs> Because, uh, so, a police officer has never been arrested for uh, murdering somebody while being made of Lego, and that means that it's not illegal for police officers made of Lego to kill someone. (laughs) Another Lego game, uh, one that I find both weirdly good because I don't know why it was good, and at the same time, I don't think it should have been good. Uh, Lego Dimensions, their answer to the toys as a... Toys to Life. Toys to Life game, yeah. Because the thing with that one is you would spend the same amount that you would for like a Skylander that was just a little action figure like an amiibo but not cool. Uh, Except you'd get like a minifig and two little things you could build with it. And you could, those they were actual toys. And then it would unlock an entire world or level pack depending on the character. And it was the same price as a Skylander. And you were actually getting a toy with it. And then the game was actually good. Yeah, that game came out during my I'm too cool for Lego games phase, so I feel like I really missed out on it. But looking back, like it had an Adventure Time DLC. There was yeah. Doctor Who. It did Who, everything. Sonic the Hedgehog. Ghostbusters. Back to the Future. Now, did that game still play more or less in the same way as the other Lego games, or was it like... Yeah, that was oh, okay. the cool thing, too. I think it might have used the same engine as like lego batman 3 that was the closest one to when that came out because it still played like a lego game just the difference was you had a big like pad that you plugged into your wii u that i also need to mention had legos on it that throughout the campaign you did like take apart and build different things for on the pad yeah i had some really cool ideas from what i saw you could also have a lot more characters than you could in skylanders in skylanders you could only have like two at a time the pad for this had room for seven characters at a time, or 
any mixed match of those end vehicles because they all use the same little NFC tag piece. So you could just be Batman with like six different vehicles if you wanted to. (laughs) The characters that it came with by default were really funny because it was uh, Gandalf from Lord of the Rings, Batman, and then Wild Style from the Lego movie. But then the story like had a lot of those really cool characters and stuff that got turned into Lego packs or uh, level packs and you know, extra worlds like that stuff was already in the main campaign, which I thought was kind of cool because there's like in the base game, there was already a portal level or a Doctor Who level. And then if you enjoyed those levels or, you know, you just really enjoyed the franchise in general, like you could buy an extra level pack where you could play a shell from portal and, you know, do more portal levels. (laughs) There was Scooby-Doo, I think. There was. There was. Gremlins. It was just yeah. wild how much stuff they had. And like Jackson said, they had all that, and it was cheaper than like a lot of the other Toys as Games type of things. Yeah, and it didn't like... I don't think you unlocked new stuff in the base game by having most of those characters. Right. Because that just... was my thing with Skylanders, is like, first off, you really only needed like nine Skylanders, because like one of each however many classes there were. Yeah, but like Skylanders only came with like three characters, and you just be playing a level, and it's like, oh, to proceed this direction, you need a wind Skylander. But, like, the three it came with were, like, fire and earth and water or whatever. So, like, even just to experience the base game in its entirety, you had to buy at least, like, six other figures, which sucked. I guess what I'm saying is, we at TBM stand Lego Dimensions <laughs> and F Skylanders. <laughs> I wish there was a convenient way to play Lego Dimensions now. Because apparently it's like really bad for scalpers. Hmm. I heard I if you want to buy the Lego Sonic pack, it's like $150. I've got that around here somewhere. We'll sell it. Jeez. <laughs> it's not in the box anymore. It's only worth like $5 now. Yeah. I bet that yeah. Lego Sonic minifigure, if you had sold it before the uh, new Lego Sonic stuff got announced, I bet it would have sold for a bit. It's true. Just on its own. Sorry, I'm a big believer in keeping my cool things. Same. I would never. Well, that's already a lot of Lego talk. Uh, And some of it was even related to the game that we're talking about. (laughs) But I think that means it's time that we pulled the plug. Jackson, what is something else that you've been into? Oh, I forgot the plan for this part. Um... If only you knew it was coming. Uh, okay, you pass, and we'll come back to you. <laughs> no. Okay, this week I have been playing Knights of the Old Republic 2 on my Steam Deck. And guys, Knights of the Old Republic 2 is good, and I would even hazard a guess as to say, like, if you have the uh, restored content mod and stuff like that, probably even better than Knights of the Old Republic 1. And it does something with Star Wars that... Sounds really simple, and I i bet you'd even imagine it's overdone, but one, it did it long enough ago that it wasn't overdone at the time, and two, it does it so significantly better than any other media I've ever seen. Knights of the Old Republic 2 asks the question, what if the Jedi weren't just good guys? Ooh. And the, the reason that I think it's so much better than any other Star Wars media that goes into that is because instead of just being like, it's just as bad to be good as it is to be bad. What this game does is say it's actually bad 
to just dogmatically follow any set of rules like that. Sure. They're like, the Jedi are bad, but they're not just like, because helping people is bad. They're like, the Jedi are bad because they sit around and do nothing while people get hurt, unless it's something that they've decided the Force tells them that they can, you know, do something about. Right. They never go as far as being like, oh, the Jedi are just as bad as the Sith, because the game also acknowledges, and I think this is a very important part, that the Sith are bad, because... Uh, going out of your way to hurt people and take over the universe is a very bad thing to do. Wow. They're finally saying what we're all thinking. <laughs> I just think it's it adds a level of complexity to Star Wars that I've never seen another piece of media handle in quite the same way. Because I feel like a lot of people that write stuff for Star Wars are not really great at critical thinking in the way that the people at Obsidian are. Mm. Which, of course... The game that actually nails talking about, you know, the dichotomy of good versus evil in Star Wars is also the people that made Fallout New Vegas. I know that you guys are not super fond of playing like older games like this. I think this is one of those games that I would strongly recommend trying to push through. First off, I think that as you play more of the game, it it starts off rough, but I think once you kind of get into a flow with it, all of that stuff kind of melts away. But also, I think the writing in this game is so phenomenally good that it's worth it even if you're not super into the gameplay at all. This game's sort of like the game that, you know, if I get a Steam Deck, it's like top of the list. Because <laughs> it's a game that I think I would have a hard time sitting at a PC for like long enough to really like get in like a good session of it. But I think if I could play it on a TV or on like a Steam Deck or something where it's the best version of the game, but it has that portability, I think I could really give it an honest go. <laughs> so holding out for Steam Deck on this one, but I it's it's at the top of my list. I mean, the first game first, of course. <laughs> so. Yeah, I would probably even recommend this game uh, without the first game. I think that it talks about the stuff that happened in the first game, and I haven't beaten it yet, so maybe like near the end it just takes a nosedive or something. Hmm. But... uh. <laughs> From what I've seen so far, the stuff it talks about in the first game is more like set dressing, and yeah. it's more about building your own character in this game, because your character in this game was tangentially related to the stuff that was going on in the prologue and like stuff that happened before Knights of the Old Republic 1 with the Mandalorian Wars, mm -hmm. and the stuff dealing with Knights of the Old Republic 1 that you deal with in that, or that you you make decisions about in this game is mostly like what was your reason for following Revan and Malik in the Mandalorian Wars or like how did their betrayal of the Jedi affect your character in this game it doesn't really care about what happened in Knights of the Old Republic 1 so much as what happened before Knights of the Old Republic 1 which is to say it's pretty cool <laughs> yeah but that's about it for me uh we doing Jordan or Jackson here? Jackson, are you ready? I I honestly am not sure what to talk about for this week. The only other things I've played are Destiny, Spider-Man, and Tears of the Kingdom, which I've all talked about recently. Yeah, I feel that. I did watch The Amazing Spider-Man, which I still like it. I don't know if I'd say it's good, but I like it. Uh, <laughs> it's got some weird issues. Why is Peter Parker a cool kid? 
He's not supposed to be. Why is he riding a skateboard around the school? That's just weird. Peter Parker doesn't know how to skateboard. I think something I've realized reading the Spider-Man comics is that if the Spider-Man comics had started in the 90s instead of the 60s, Peter Parker would have been riding a skateboard. Spider-Punk would be canon Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just saying, like, he's a social outcast and all that, and the way that they portrayed that in the 60s is being like, oh, he's an egghead. He only spends all of his time studying instead of, you know, caring about girls or whatever. I feel like if the series had started in the 90s, they would have been like, oh, he's a social outcast. He skateboards and listens to My Chemical Romance or (laughs) some equivalent band that makes sense in the 90s. If it started in the 90s, I picture there being like a scene in one of the movies where uh, he skateboards late to class because he was busy being Spider-Man and he just didn't make it in time. And Teenage Dirtbag is playing. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and he like he like rolls into class and he's wearing like a denim jacket and he's got a like a skull on his shirt and the teacher's just like oh that punk could never be good at math and he and Peter Parker's like actually I am and the teacher's like well what's 2 plus 2 and he's like it's 4 and everyone in the class is like how did he answer that question like <laughs> Like, that would be, like, the most 90s take on Spider-Man imaginable. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's a weird movie, because there's a lot of stuff that's just weird and out of place. But watching it again, I feel like a lot of it isn't as bad as I thought it was. Like, I remember one of my old complaints about it being how uh he kind of just abuses that one mugger he finds trying to steal a car. He just, like, uh, webs him to a wall and then keeps shooting him with webs over and over again. But, like... I feel like a big point of Spider-Man is when he first gets the powers is like he's not believing the whole great power, great responsibility. And he has to realize, oh, Uncle Ben was right. So like that stuff doesn't bother me anymore. Uh, What mostly bothers me was the writing for characters. There are some lines in this movie where I'm just like, why did they make them say that? I feel like it had really cool ideas in, in some aspects, like the scene where he is chasing the lizard through the sewers. And he makes a giant spider web and like shoots webs down all of the different, you know, corridors of the sewer. And then he finds the lizard by like following the vibrations of the webs. That part is really cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then it has really bad ideas like bringing back the concept in the 90s in the comics. They were like uh, Peter Parker's parents were, were secret super spies. Yeah. And they're like, oh, Peter Parker, he actually got these powers not because of you know just the spider but he was genetically predisposed to this or they did experiments on him or something stupid like that it just kind of overcomplicates the backstory in a way that i think ruins the film in some ways yeah because they start setting all that up in amazing spider-man but they don't go too in depth with it until amazing spider-man 2 where they're just like yeah his father purposely made it to where only he could get the spider powers which like one of the big points of Spider-Man is it could be anyone under there. But no, it's got to be Peter Parker now. Uh, my other big issue is that it has bad writing, but then you have Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone giving very good performances and very great chemistry. But the writing in those movies is so bad, it holds them back sometimes. It does have one of those moments that I would compare to the train scene from Spider-Man 2, where Spider-Man is injured after a fight or something like that. 
and he needs uh, to web swing across the city and yeah. all of the construction workers like line up their cranes. Mm-hmm. That was a really good scene. Uh, I haven't watched Amazing Spider-Man 2 again yet because I'm trying to debate if I want to bother spending money to rent it. <laughs> There's some I, I have a fun spoiler. I'm going to I'm just going to get into it though real quick. Uh, I think it's really funny that he promises Captain Stacy, you know, like with Captain Stacy's dying breath, he's like, don't date my daughter. <laughs> and then Spider-Man and literally the next movie is like, I'm going to date your daughter. And then he kills her. <laughs> Y'all. What a movie. I just realized something. We're idiots. We were all racking our brains coming up with what we were going to talk about in this pulling the plug segment. We just spent 10 minutes talking about Spider-Man. All three of us have seen a brand new Spider-Man since the last time we recorded a podcast episode. Yeah, but that's hard to get into without spoilers. I don't feel bad spoiling The Amazing Spider-Man because that movie came out in like 2011. Yeah, Uh, I did also rewatch Homecoming a few days ago. You guys know about this because I've texted you guys about it. Um, it's, It's pretty good still. It holds up after only six years. I will, I still go back and forth between of Homecoming or Far From or No Sorry No Way Home is my favorite MCU Spider Man film, but it's it sticks up. Uh, I'm gonna rewatch as many as I can without having to rent any of them. I will have more information in the coming weeks. Jordan, on to you. I will I will start my pulling the plug just by saying we did see Across the Spider Verse and it's phenomenal. Um, if you liked. If you like Into the Spider-Verse, you're going to love this one as well. Um, There is a lot of contention about which one is better. And after sitting on it for a while, I can comfortably say Into the Spider-Verse is better. But also Into the Spider-Verse might be my favorite animated movie I've ever seen. So not being as good as Into the Spider-Verse isn't a slight in any capacity. (laughs) But the thing I really want to talk about is the fact that one of my absolute favorite shows of all time has officially come to a close allegedly wink wink ted lasso its third season just wrapped uh this is whether the show continues or not this was the end of ted lasso's journey and despite the finale not being great i still say the show overall is fantastic i i think that this is one of the one of the shows that is connected with me on an emotional level in a way that very very few shows in my adult life have And it's for reasons that a lot of people criticize a show or just never even gave it a shot. And, like, I understand that a lot of people just don't like this wholesome, we should all be good to each other kind of message that persists in shows like this. And, like, I get the criticisms of that. I get it's not for everybody. But I think what this show did better than anything else was that they made a show where it's just a bunch of people that are in weird scenarios but they solve their problems by looking out for each other and depending on each other and that sounds incredibly cliche and sometimes it is (laughs) but i think that this show really brings out some really really fun dynamics between the characters and they did a really really good job of creating this world and these characters in this town that feels so authentic and so alive but never gets in the way of it just being this crazy scenario like this is a fish out of water story where you know a football a college football coach is suddenly coaching 
a professional soccer team, even though he knows nothing about the sport. Like, that weirdness never goes away, but the show still feels so real and so authentic and so personal. And I just, I loved it. Barring, like, maybe two or three episodes, I think the show was, like, constantly knocking it out of the park. Most episodes of the show were, like, 10 out of 10, like, could not think of a way to improve them. Like, it was wild. I don't know why, but until now, I thought he co- he coached, like, middle school football. No, he was a, he was a college football coach, and he and he won a title, which was why he was like being examined on you know an international level, anyways. But you find out pretty early in the show he was only hired as like an intentional sabotage, and it turns into something much much bigger and bolder than that. And I just I really loved it. I this show does redemption arcs better than any other. Like, there are three characters in the show that I absolutely despised in the early seasons and grew to absolutely adore by the end. And it was so smart in how it played that up every single time. And it's this show is, is a hard sell just explaining it because what is special about this show is not the stuff that's advertised. Like, it's not just that it's this football coach in over his head. Like, it's it's not really about this football coach. It's about this community that surrounds him and i i really adored it you know it's again it's not going to be for everybody it's very like mushy we should all be good to each other and it'll solve all our problems like it's it's not going to be everybody's cup of tea but uh for me personally i i thought it was exceptional you should check it out uh three seasons out now maybe more coming down the pipeline that's being teased even heavier now that the three seasons are over but whether or not the show continues in any capacity, this was clearly like the bookend of at least the first leg of this story, and I, I thought it was really great. Well, that just about does it for another episode of Totally Biased Media. If you'd like to reach out to us, there are a handful of ways you can do that. First, on Twitter, at TBMcast. Second, on Instagram, at Totally Biased Media. And third, you can send an email to totallybiasedmedia at gmail.com. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitch. We stream just about every weekend. Uh, we are in the year of the Kong. We've, we've officially started Donkey Kong 64. Uh, it's been a trip so far, and we've barely scratched the surface of it, so there's a lot to see. So come check it out just about every weekend. Um, if you follow us, you'll get the notifications when we go live. We also post on our socials a little bit before we start, so you'll know. So yeah, definitely check that out. Um, also, we have something new coming. We're starting a new series, and it's going to run sort of parallel to <laughs> Totally Biased Media as you know it today. I'm not going to give any more information, partially because we haven't nailed all that information down yet, but we're going to be sitting down with some friends of ours, some friends of the show, to talk about games that are really important to them, but specifically games that are important to them that aren't these huge cultural phenomenons. So. Our next episode is actually going to be the kickoff for that series. Um, normally, it'll run outside of our regular schedule, but since this is like a, a special kickoff, we're giving it its own episode, its own special time. So our next episode is going to be about an older game, one that's very special to our guest. We're going back in time for this one. <laughs> so check that out. Uh, we have some new stuff coming down the pipeline, and we would we would love to hear your suggestions for older games that are important to you that we could potentially dig into. So we've got a lot we can do. But for the Totally Biased Media Podcast, I'm Jordan Walkup. I'm Jason Simmons.
And I'm Jackson Walkup. And you just felt the bias. Woo! Thank you, everyone. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye.